The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, before we get to the great Carol Roth talking about this Fed news today, is it good news, bad news? Is it all bad news? Before we get to that, let me address something right out of the gates. I'm obviously aware of this letter today. Chuck Grassley, the Senate, long story short, there's evidence they claim, they claim the FBI has a document that the FBI is hiding that proves, if you read the letter, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Joe Biden, when he was VP, did something very, very illegal, such as using his political influence for money. Um, that wouldn't surprise anyone, but we don't sell false hope on this show. The GOP being aware of something the system's doing is not new. The GOP doing something about it would be very new, so we will see if anything ever comes of that. So let's set aside the useless GOP and bring in the very much not useless Carol Roth. Carol Roth, author of the book, You Will Own Nothing. Carol, by the way, you need to pre-order that book, You Will Own Nothing. I don't even think it's out yet. I'm sure it's freaking awesome. And Carol, you owe me a copy. Carol, before we get to You Will Own Nothing, what does it mean, this 0.25 bump today? What am I supposed to take from this? So this is very much, um, it's not bad news or good news. It just was expected news. And I think the overall takeaway is that the Fed has just 
hike rates in a very historic manner over the last 14 months and all of the havoc that they've created in the economy leading up to this point, they're now creating it on the other side. So the market believes that this may be the last time that the Fed hikes rates for some time, that maybe they will pause and just hold it there for a while. Uh, the Fed has given some indication that they might possibly consider it a little bit more than they did the last time, but they still re, uh, remain dependent on the data. And unfortunately, a lot of the data conflicts with itself. There is still obviously inflation that is running far too high. Uh, but there are other things like, you know, you know, a minor banking crisis, Jesse, that uh, are creating issues for the Fed. So they're going to have to navigate that territory. The market's going to do everything they can to bully the Fed into uh pausing, but um, the Fed you know, seems to have its own agenda depending on the day. So we'll see where it goes. But you know, at, at the end of the day, the big takeaway here is that the Fed screwed this up royally in the beginning. They're still screwing up royally and we have to stop letting central planners play God and create some accountability. I'm hearing nowhere in the corporate press calls for, hey, we need to retract the Fed's powers. Look at all of the things that they've done. Look at all of the destruction that they're policy has caused. Unfortunately, that narrative you can only find here in places like Jesse Kelly's show. Uh, it's so true. You know what? I'm nervous about something, Carol, because, well, I combine these two things. The Fed comes out, they raise rates a little bit today, and then, of course, they leak out there. I don't think we'll do it again. I, I don't foresee another one. Maybe. Who knows? We might do it. And then Joe Biden coming out talking about how hunky-dory everything is. These actions are going to make sure that the banking system is safe and sound. The American banking system is really um, safe and well capitalized. It's resilient. Carol, oh. you know what I hear? You know what I hear when I hear that kind of talk? You know what I hear? I hear banks, please don't close. We're fine. That looks like propaganda to me. So banks don't panic. So depositors don't make a run on the banks. That's what I hear. Am I crazy? You're definitely not. These are the same people who brought to you. There will be no inflation. Inflation is transitory. Bread lines are a great way to meet your neighbors. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. And this is the latest installments in their discussion. We heard the same thing from Fed Chair Powell during the presser today. Uh, the you know, banking system is stable. But just days ago, we had another major bank collapse. We've had three of the four largest bank collapses, you know, within the last couple of months here. So the, the idea to say that, that we have this wonderful stability in the banking system when we still have the, the big issues that the Fed has created here overhanging and then potentially the contagion that could be happening in commercial real estate, uh, in corporate debt, with the continuing uh, bankruptcies of of corporate companies, you know, we have all kinds of things that can lead to a further crisis. So I agree with you. I think this was a fairly weak attempt to quell uh, the population and say, please don't pull your money out of the regional banks. But uh, unfortunately, you know, if you are not protected, by the way, uh, under FDIC limits in a bank, or if you're with a credit union with NCUA, you need to go in and make sure that you move things around, whether it's between different accounts or different financial institutions, so that you have that protection, because they probably will end up raising those limits, but you don't want to be caught in the fallout. And I do believe, Jesse, there's going to be more fallout.
What kind of fallout? More banks. More there are going to be more oh. banks that go under. As a, so let's just take let's just take commercial real estate for a second. I mean, last mm -hmm. time, last time around, it was residential real estate, but now we have half of the mortgages on commercial real estate that are coming due within the next two years. The worst segment of that is obviously office space. We have people who aren't going back to the office. Almost a quarter of that needs to be refinanced this year when people aren't coming back oh. at much, much higher rates. I mean, the, that equation, the math doesn't really balance out for me. Oh. You're wounding me, Carol. All this news is horrible, and it's all this, true. Gosh, that's, this, this is, is what sucks. This is not me. This is the federal government, and this is the Fed, and this is their negligent, destructive monetary <sighs> and fiscal policy. I'm just explaining it to you. Sorry. Oh, gosh. All right, you know what? We're moving on past this to more horrible news. <laughs> the World Economic Forum, because this is going to lead us right into your book, <laughs> talking about how millions and millions, specifically 83 Million jobs are going to be lost because of AI. Hey, Carol, my dad doesn't even know what AI is. Why are we losing jobs to it? What's going on? Well, I think that um, you know when you see the the World Economic Forum and you see the people who are connected with them, the elite uh, business people, the elite political people, and they're telling you things like we predict by 2030 that you will own nothing, that private property will just go away, or that the robots are going to take all of your jobs. You know, it's not just a prediction. They have people who are are trying to carry these uh, visions into their their relevant places. You know, within the political and business spheres. And so it's really crazy. I think it all comes back to the fact that we are on this precipice of a new financial world order, that all these elite are trying to jockey to control all the resources. And certainly when you think about you know, pro private property, individual rights, tech is a huge piece of that. I mean, the, the fact that you might not own your identity, that AI is training on stuff that belongs to us, you know, whether it's our voices or the content we produce, but there is no intellectual intellectual property protection around that right now. I do think that that's a big piece of the you will own nothing story. And I love how the WEF just like throws it out there as if they're not planning for this, jockeying to make sure they come out on all on top and again, leave you with nothing in the process. Carol Roth, if you would like to know more about the plans for you, go pre-order her book, you will own nothing. The World Economic Forum, I have no doubt, gets a mention or two in there. Carol, thank you, ma'am. And Jesse Kelly does as well. It's a, it's a one-two punch. It's, <laughs> a, it's the plan and the plan to fight back. Jesse Kelly's on the fight back side. <laughs> uh, Carol, I appreciate you. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Fun. Enough fun. Let's talk about supply chains. That's boring. Before we talk about supply chains, I know you carry, or a lot of us, I should say, carry. We carry a concealed weapon. And part of the concealed carry is oftentimes insurance that you can get with it. Now, what is that insurance? When you get it, I've gotten it before myself, so I'm not pointing fingers. You get insurance, so in case there's a shooting that happens, you automatically have some legal protection because lawyers are super expensive. It's automatically some legal protection. But there's a wrinkle in there that is doing people wrong and one you should be aware of. If they determine that it wasn't self-defense, and oftentimes it is and they still determine that, they'll drop you 
They might even make you reimburse them. That's why attorneys for freedom is different. It's legal defense, not insurance, legal defense. You have an attorney, no matter what, 24-7. Ah, we need that kind of protection in a, in a world where everybody's mentally ill. Go sign up today. Attorneysforfreedom.com slash jesse. Promo code jesse gets you 25%, 25 bucks off your sign up. All right? Attorneysforfreedom.com slash jesse. Promo code jesse. We'll be back. Before the pandemic, supply chain wasn't something most Americans thought about. And when you say supply chain, you look at each other with a blank stare. Think how many people had no idea what the hell, heck a supply chain was. <laughs> no, I'm serious. For example, during the pandemic, what happened was all of a sudden everybody started to learn the phrase supply chain. A year ago, no one knew what the hell anybody was talking about when he said supply chain. But now they all know. Do you get the feeling that Joe Biden himself didn't know? Every time I hear him say that line, I think to myself, that's just a man being honest that the 9,000-year-old senator, VP, now president, legit just didn't even know what a supply chain was. Ross knows. Joining me now, my buddy Ross Kennedy, founder of Fortis Analysis and an expert on supply chains. Okay, Ross, well, Joe Biden just found out about them, but you've known about them for quite some time, and everyone knows we had massive problems during the pandemic, if we're still calling it that. Are the supply chain problems from the pandemic, are they worked out? Well, I think in a lot of ways we've gone the other direction. Uh, you know, before oh. we couldn't get anything into the U.S., um, we had a, uh, a serious lack of availability of everything, pretty much except toilet paper, it felt like, uh, despite people's panic buying. Now we're in a situation where for a lot of stores, the, the story's really been the last six to 12 months, inventories are full, things have caught up, everything that, that they were ordering, just desperately trying to get into the US, and that could be consumer goods, uh, different staple, you know, staple goods that people require, things like clothing or electronics, whatever it may be. You know, inventories are full now, and we're seeing demand collapsing uh, in the ocean freight market, uh, particularly between China and uh, other parts of Southeast Asia and the US. And so now it's a situation we've gone the other way, the sort of the classic bullwhip effect. But the, the, the devastating fallout of all of this is that companies couldn't make enough money during the pandemic importing and, and manufacturing. Now they can't make money for a different reason, which is that most people aren't buying at this point. Okay, why aren't people buying? It's just, is this just an economy problem, an inflation problem? What, why aren't people buying? Because we are, if I remember right, about a 70% consumer-based economy. So if people aren't buying things, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. Yeah, you know, from, from, the, uh, from the revenue generating side for a lot of these companies, if they're not in the service industry, which really we're kind of a financialized service economy, uh, to the extent that we do manufacture some things for ourselves, it tends to be a lot of core things, but consumer goods is another massive, massive driver of the U.S. economy, and that's falling apart. Uh, people are not buying mainly because of inflation is a big one. Uh, when you look at the price of a, a vehicle, a truck that's $70,000, now it was $40,000 just really a few years ago, home values are up. So people are spending money on the things that they still really kind of consider essential to their life. But because they're not getting, you know, Uncle Sam bucks falling from the sky because we're in our 17th straight lockdown, uh, because things are not hard to come by and people are almost panic purchasing for things that they really want, 
now they've sort of retracted their spending and saying going back to you know what's important and as things you know as the economy has really opened up over the last year year and a half people are going back to spending on services as well they're spending on experiences they're going back to restaurants more you know it it's so as these dynamics have shifted inventories are filling up uh you know vessels are coming across the ocean no longer full the ocean carriers are panicking the railroads are panicking there's a bloodbath happening in the trucking industry as far as companies shutting down and drivers really trying to figure out kind of what to do next. So we've got all of these things happening. And then we throw on top of it the issues that are plaguing the railroad industry. We've got you know very famously a number of these derailments uh, and issues. We've got longshoremen uh, at any given time on the precipice of a strike at the West Coast ports. It's just sort of all the way around a rough situation with no great answers. And it's compounded by the fact that we have no real leadership at the top that can help sort of organize and hurt all of these cats. Uh, before we get back to the domestic stuff, which you just brought up, I, I want to focus on China for a moment. Because I was thinking you're talking about people who are full on goods. Stores are full on goods. So they don't need as many goods. So the orders aren't coming in. Well, our stuff gets made in China. Surely this is hurting China, who's making things people aren't buying. It hurts them in one way, um, but it also, they've got a bit of a floor in China from a manufacturing side, and that floor is set by uh, export subsidies, that floor is set by uh, other indirect subsidies. In some cases, it's forced labor uh, in the supply chain. There's a huge offset for a lot of industries, particularly ones that are dependent on coal, uh, because so much of the coal mining that's done in China is done with uh, free labor, prison labor, uh, internal migration, people that, you know, basically indigent people that are moved from one part of the country to another just to slave away and extracting rare, you know, rare minerals, uh, extracting coal, all of these things. So they've got all of these subsidies built in where a collapse in demand in the U.S. has a very direct impact on the companies that really keep our economy going. But because China is not a market economy like ours, China is this really, uh, really odd hybrid of, of state and private market and public markets. And they're far more direct uh, in their intentions as far as saying people have to work. We're a communist country. We have to keep jobs going. We have to keep the machines turned on. And then they, they sort of just choke down the times that that causes an overabundance or oversupply of materials. And they keep companies afloat and keep them going. And to the extent that they do allow companies to close in China, those are the politically disfavored ones anyway. They shut them down. The companies go out of business. And then the assets are usually sucked up by some state-owned company, and uh, they just expand again as soon as they can. Deb Holland, speaking of China, she was just interviewed with, well, I interviewed, she was giving testimony to Josh Hawley, and man alive, we really have the dumbest people in the country in charge. Here's how this went. The metals needed to make the lithium-ion batteries in those vehicles are, of course, lithium, nickel, graphite, and cobalt. Now, can you tell me what nation is the largest producer of refined lithium in the world? No, I can't. It's China. Can you tell me which nation is the largest producer of refined cobalt in the world? No, Senator. It's China. Do you know what nation is the largest exporter of natural graphite to the United States globally? No, Senator. It's China. Okay. Uh, Ross, that kind of seems like a big deal for a nation that's geared its entire economy and its military towards going green. Yeah, at, at the end of the day, we 
what we saw throughout the 80s and 90s is China went from an economy that said, and, and China does have an abundance of a lot of these resources themselves, not all of them, but an abundance. It's a very mineral-rich country in some cases and, and within certain sectors. But what they did was they said, okay, we're going to move upstream from this artisanal mining, this, this people with pickaxes chipping away at the sides of mountains, and then we're going to start refining. And they got into the refining game. And then they got into the value-add game by attracting companies, uh, most of them American and European, to come to China and set up factories with the promise of cheap labor, no environmental regulations, uh, nobody really cares about the water. It's, and it was, as that happened, this transfer of intellectual property happened under the joint venture agreements, and China then suddenly started competing with their own joint ventures by setting up wholly indigenous companies, and now they control so much of it. And once they began to get into the game of they can control the entire value chain of, of processing and, and manufacturing and then converting these minerals and resources into useful, uh, you know, you know, intermediate goods and useful, you know, ready to go to market goods, being able to sell them. Now, all of a sudden, they control the entire value chain. It's almost like you have no choice if you utilize lithium, if you utilize a lot of these things, you've kind of got to be in China and, and you get locked into this just, you know, death loop of, of being stuck inside the, the, the communist world. And it's very difficult to get out. It's a difficult to extract the IP, what hasn't been stolen. It's difficult to extract your capital equipment and reshore. So, you know, when Senator Hawley's talking about it's China, it's China, it's China, it's it's we're, we're never going to get ahead by playing the 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 game of this all by the rules that China themselves set. We have to conceptualize things differently and really understand that this is for keeps and that we are not in a uh, tension of mutual economies here. We're we're in a tension of one economy that's playing to destroy the United States and bring us to heel. And we're thinking that this is still just about dollars and cents. <sighs> All right, to, finally, domestically. Okay, so if I understand you right, we have potential port problems with the strike. Everyone knows about the rail problems. Everyone with the television set knows about the rail problems. We have a trucker problem as well. That sounds like a crisis situation for a nation that has inflation and interest rate problems on top of it. Is this a crisis situation? I think we've uh, gone past crisis and uh, we're somewhere into a terminal death spiral of a number of these industries. Oh. The 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 good news is, and there is always good news, uh, is that we are Americans. We have been through incredibly hard times before that would have broken or crushed a lot of other countries, and we came roaring back. And sometimes the mechanisms by which we come roaring back are really painful uh, and desperate and difficult, and these transitional periods are very tough. But at the end of the day, I, I will never stop believing in, in, in sort of the natural capacity of America for self-renewal. I believe that we have the systems and the resources and the people uh, at the grassroots level. And, you know, we've become dumber and dumber and more obsessed with TikTok and more obsessed with the, the, the sport-like drama of politics. But difficult times, like truly difficult times where we realize how far bad we've let things go, it does galvanize a people. And I do think enough leaders and enough common sense will emerge from all of this that if the next five or 10 years is tough, it's also a tough in a way that's laying the foundation for a really, really, really strong and amazing decades to follow. I like that. I feel better. Ross, thank you, brother. We got to break bread soon. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. All right. We have politics next. Just hang on. We'll discuss it. Before we get to that, 
Let's get to this. What are we going to do? Look out for ourselves, right? And our neighbors, in our community. Part of looking out for yourself is looking out for your health. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but man, that ended up coming off really well. But it's true. And looking out for your health, what about the air you breathe in? You know there's viruses and mold in your air all around you, right? It's kind of creepy to think about. It's gross, actually, but it's true. Part of the reason we get sick is we're breathing this stuff in. Part of the reason I love Eden Pure Thunderstorm is it kills those viruses, kills that mold in the air. I don't have to stress it. Eden Pure Thunderstorm is so good at cleaning your air, not covering up odors, cleaning your air. My mother had to unplug the one that was by her Christmas tree at Christmas time because she couldn't smell it anymore and loves to smell her tree. This thing will clean your air. It's like scrubbing it at all times. Healthy. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Code JESSE gets you $200 off a three-pack. EdenPureDeals.com. Code JESSE. We'll be back. Mr. Cicinelli, how do you think the American people would feel that the uh, Michigan State Secretary of State would allow 27,000 dead people to be on a roll? I think they'd be astonished. What intent, other than fraud, could there be for wanting to allow such things? I don't think there is any other intent. I mean, I think help me out is, here. Is there something else? I think it is, it is to leave open the opportunity. Uh, short of fraud, there is also mere confusion. That doesn't sound good for a fairly critical swing state, if we're even calling it that. Joining me now, my friend Ned Ryan, CEO of American Majority. Ned, that kind of seems like an issue in a state that now has super majorities in the House and Senate and a horrific communist witch as the governor. Well, it, it does, because it is. Uh, the fact that you don't want to remove 26, 27,000 dead people from your voter rolls is because you want to cheat. I think Ken was being pretty gracious there, but if you don't want photo ID, if you want dead people on your rolls, if you want all these things, it's because there's there's one reason. You want to cheat. Uh, you want to somehow manipulate the elections to get the results you want. And, and one of the things they do, Jesse, and the reason they don't remove dead people from the voter rolls is because they want to be able to send them a ballot uh, that will be collected and counted as a vote. There's a lot of reasons that you want to leave dead people on the voter rolls if you don't want free and fair elections and, in fact, want to rig and manipulate the elections to get the results you want. So there's a lot of cleaning up that needs to be done uh, if we're, we're actually going to get the elections where we need to have them. But you're right. When we have Whitmer with supermajorities in Michigan, the odds of that happening are pretty much zero before 2024. Okay. Ned, so if I have this right, Democrats are out there ensuring that they will bring in as many votes as they need to win an election, no matter how inept their right. candidate is. And the right. GOP is doing polling. I see a lot of talk about polling. I see rallies. Those are, those are really important. Yep. I see town halls. I see all these things, but I don't see anything about get out the vote. I don't see anything right. about ballot harvesting. I don't see any. Do I have that right, Ned? So we're, we're doing rallies while they're collecting votes. Do I have that right? Even more so, and I just wrote a piece in American Greatness entitled Conservative Inc. Fiddles While the Republic Burns and Juxtapose What the Left is Doing in Minnesota. Jesse, they are doing motor voter laws. They're pre-registering 16 and 17-year-olds. And they're also proposing pop-up polling locations in which if somebody in the county wants to request a pop-up polling location, say 
on a campus and a rest home, they request it from the county. Uh, they can have a polling place there and, and think of it as, as a drop box on steroids. That's what the left is doing. And what we're doing is we're having 2,000 person dinners on the banks of the Potomac with Dirk's Bentley concerts popping off fireworks over the Potomac, celebrating how great our, our achievement has been of existence while the left is pursuing raw political power. And, and this, this to me is a real problem, Jesse. We have, we have the wrong approach. We have been funding the wrong things. And the left realizes that politics is policy. If you have the political power, if you win in politics, you get to be in the position to implement policy. You don't have to propose the ideas. You don't have to write white papers to say how great these ideas are. You actually have the power to implement your, your twisted uh, policy ideas. And, and the right continues to fund. And I, I find this a great mystery, Jesse. I have been involved in the conservative nonprofit movement for a good 15, almost 16 years now. I have never fully understood this overinvestment into think tanks at the state level and also in D.C., in which we plow hundreds of millions a year into think tanks. And the left, the left doesn't really do that. They plow their nonprofit money into voter registration, investigative journalism, lawfare, all of these things. And we're writing white papers. It's time for us to really think about how we readjust our tactics, strategy and funding. Because, Jesse, if we don't focus on voter registration in key presidential battleground states, if we don't focus on fully funding absentee ballot chase programs, we're going to find ourselves in a very tenuous position post-2024 if we don't win the White House back. Okay, Ned. So I need you to maybe give me some hope. If not, just pop my balloon, buddy. I don't care. What are our chances in 2024 when it comes to these things? i got to be honest, man. Every time I see something new... I shrug my shoulders when I think about 2024. It sounds to me like we are facing a battle we're simply not prepared to fight. We, we aren't. Uh, and this is why 18 months out, I'm, I'm really starting to, to pound and beat this drum that we'd better figure this out sooner rather than later. I have hope, Jesse. I mean, the, the numbers in, in okay. Arizona, Nevada, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, if we do the things that we should be doing now and really start to prepare... The numbers actually look pretty good for us if we will do the fundamentals, but I, I think the biggest question is, are we going to do that? I mean, you need to be doing two to $3 million in voter registration this year and next year in the key presidential battleground states, and you have to do no less than $10 million into an absentee ballot chase program in every presidential battleground state to try to get 80 to 90% return on those absentee ballots. If you will focus on the fundamentals, if you will get those fundamentals fully funded, I, I like our chances. The numbers do exist for us, Jesse, but they're not just going to happen. I mean, this is the one thing that the left is very good at. They realize if we have enough numbers out there with ballots and we collect more ballots than the other guy, shocking concept, we'll win. And, and we on the right are still stuck on, well, if we have really good ideas and we can persuade people, maybe we'll get them to vote for us. Forget that. Focus on getting as many ballots out there. Focus on getting more ballots in. Ned, people are voting with their feet, as people often do. Yep. They're fleeing blue states. They're heading to red states. This is a very good thing. This is something I encourage people to do. This eventually, though, results in probably something not great for the country as a whole, as red America gets redder and blue America turns into a living hell, correct? Correct. I mean, the, the, the concern I have, Jesse, is that people fleeing the blue states don't always leave their blue state politics behind. If they will do that and fully understand that they made terrible decisions and who they voted for in those blue states that have led to these policies that have destroyed their states and want to move to a red state to change their politics, to enjoy the prosperity of red state politics, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, but, but I want them to leave their blue state politics behind. But yeah, we are getting balkanized. 
I mean, th there's no doubt about it in which people realize there are definite policy differences. There's different quality of life, rule of laws actually uh, enforced and, and appreciated in these red states, economically prosperous, and, and blue states are turning into hell holes, uh, especially in the urban areas. I, at some point, you would think it, it becomes unsustainable in which you have such a clear dichotomy between the red and blue states. Where do we go from there? I have to tell you, when I first heard about this idea of national divorce, I kind of dismissed it. I'm not sure I'm really dismissing it now. Uh, sadly, it was probably inevitable. All right, you know what? Let's talk about fortifying those red states and making them yep. redder, because it's not important to just move. You must move and get active. What's American majority all about, Ned? Well, we, we go out and we identify state and local people to run for state and local office, Jesse. It's, it's school board, city council, county commission, state house, state senate, in which we want to equip the right men and right women. Again, politics is policy. How do you win politically? What are the right tools, tactics, strategies to win? So you could be in the place to implement the right policy. And I think in some states, you know, red states, it is time for us to really dig in on school boards and city councils to really get the right people in it and not just leave those positions behind. Because I think we've even seen in some places, Loudoun County, where I'm at, and, and this is kind of a judgment on some of us living in Loudoun County, we kind of fell asleep a little bit in Loudoun County in which we allowed really the left to come in and, and take over the school board, take over the county commission. And a lot of us are, have realized we've been asleep. We're going right back at it. And I'm, I'm pretty optimistic we're going to take a run at the school board this fall. Uh, but we got to work on the county commission as well. So I would encourage people in these red states, take over as many local positions as possible. Those those positions have almost as big uh, an impact on your daily life as, as federal positions. Go in and control them. And the best part, Jesse, if you really are serious about taking over school board or city council, with, with a small handful of people, it can be done. Amen. Ned, go get him, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Something blew up at the Kremlin. We'll talk about that next. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about moving forward as a country. Red, blue, taxes, spending, the debt limits, the inflation, all this stuff's crazy, right? But the problem is, so much of this stuff is out of our control, out of your control, out of my control. We're kind of just floating along here, whichever way the wind's blowing. Your health, though, is in your control. You control it. You own it. I own my health. That's why I take chalk. That's why I go to chalk. Not big pharma. No more of that crap. Natural herbal supplements. Whatever's bothering you, whatever you want improvement on, why don't you go to chalk.com and check out what they have? They have an endless supply of natural herbal supplements, highest quality out there. Tea levels low, fellas, very common these days. They have a male vitality stack, female vitality stack for the ladies if you're tired of needing that cup of coffee at three in the afternoon. Chalk.com, promo code JESSE gets you 35% off whatever you subscribe to. So go subscribe. Chalk.com, promo code JESSE. We'll be back. That was the video everyone's talking about today. The video of a drone exploding by the Kremlin. And you know what I was thinking about when I watched that? Just stay with me here. I was thinking about, imagine if it was 1943. World War II is going on hot and heavy. 
And all of a sudden, it's in all the newspapers out there. It's on all the radio broadcasts out there that there was a massive explosion at Hitler's residence in Berlin. And what if almost universally across the United States of America, everyone looked at that or heard that, I guess I should say, read that and thought, oh, I doubt it. They're probably lying. I wonder what they're lying about. Isn't that wild to think about, that kind of alternate history? Because that's where we are today with everything. Woke up today, saw that video. Russia says Ukraine, Ukraine tried to assassinate Vladimir Putin. Ukraine says we had nothing to do with it. And you know who I believe? Nobody. I don't know. I don't know who that's from. I don't know what that was. Because we are constantly being lied to Foreignly, I don't know if foreignly is a word, foreignly and domestically at all times now. So now I believe nothing. I believe nothing. Russia says it was Ukraine. Ukraine says it wasn't. If you, if you told me right now that was a group of kids in Russia putting a uh, bunch of firecrackers, a bunch of M80s on a drone they bought at Amazon.com and flew it up there and blew it up, I would believe that too. Or I guess I should say I wouldn't believe that too. I believe nothing because we are in a constant state of information warfare now and I find it to be the most frustrating thing in the world. Do you remember when the Nord Stream pipeline blew up? You remember that? The Nord Stream pipeline. And immediately America comes out and says, we had nothing to do with it. And it's people out there saying, well, I mean, it must have been a rogue group or something somewhere. And then I came on here and I told you, talked to one of my buddies, Clay Martin, was a Green Beret forever. I said, okay, logistically, tell me about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. What would it take to put holes like that in a pipeline that deep? And he just started laughing. And he said, there's only four, five, maybe six nation states in the entire planet with the capability to go that deep and put holes like that in a pipeline. And did you know the U.S. Navy was doing exercises as part of NATO a mile away from the explosion sites when it went off? And immediately America comes out and says, wasn't us. And Russia says, uh, I think it was. And a reporter says, eh, pretty sure it was. And America says, nope, I don't know who did it. it. Must be a separatist group or something like that. And my point in all this stuff is... Aren't you tired of being lied to all the time? It's awful. Just a constant state of lies. I believe nothing I see on television anymore. And what makes it worse is this whole Russia-Ukraine thing. Uh, Russia sucks. Ukraine's government appears to be really, really horrible and corrupt. And, and we don't believe anything Russia says. And we don't believe anything Ukraine says. And yet we're still just shuffling all this money their way, I mean, shoot, even Kevin McCarthy's still in on it. We know that uh, you don't support uh, the current unlimited and uh, uncontrolled uh, supplies of weaponry and aid to Ukraine. So can you comment, is it possible if in the near future uh, the U.S. policy regarding sending weaponry to Ukraine will change? Okay, I'm not sure. The, the, the sound here is not good. Did he say, I don't support aid to Ukraine? No, I vote for aid for Ukraine. I support aid for Ukraine. I do not support what your country has done you to, to Ukraine. I do not support your killing of the children either. And I think for one standpoint, you should pull out 
and I don't think it's right. And we will continue to support because the rest of the world sees it just as it is. Okay. All right. Um, what about us? Do you know about us? Did you know with this $300 million aid package announced today, munitions and things like that, did you know that this is all coming on the heels of the revelation of things I've been telling you about a lot on this show? Did you know the United States military is running out of ammunition? Didn't know that, did you? Our factories that make our ma uh, ammunition, some have blown up, some just aren't there anymore. We don't have artillery shells for us. We don't have ammo for us. Americans think that it's still World War II and we can just turn around and look at our economy, look at our manufacturing center and said, hey, turn on, make us some stuff. But that economy's gone. It's been sent to China. Now, we have $8 billion in military equipment we've given to the Taliban. We have who knows how much military equipment we've given now to black arms dealers around the world, because remember, as reported and then retracted by CBS, only one third of what we're sending to Ukraine actually gets to the poor saps on the front lines. So they all have guns. The Taliban have guns, and uh, the black market guys have guns, but the Army Rangers, they're running short. Does anyone consider that anymore? Does anyone talk about that? Does anyone? care about that? Anyone in power, I know you care about that. Do they care about that? No, they don't. All they care about is lying to us constantly without end. And that brings me, speaking of military affairs, that brings me to this. Everyone keeps sending me this, this Navy recruitment video where they take a current Navy sailor who's apparently a drag queen and they use him as part of a recruitment effort. I just want to say, I just want to remind everyone when we say things like they're destroying the military. They're destroying the military. They're destroying the military. Well, destruction is in the eye of the beholder. And here's what I mean by that. The military you want, a military capable of taking on foreign adversaries, yes, that military is being destroyed. There's no question about it. We don't have the manpower. We don't have the munitions. The, the good guys are getting out, the good guys aren't joining. There's no question the military is being destroyed as something that can fight a foreign force. I will let you know, though, they're not really destroying the military in their eyes. They're building the military. The governments of the West, not just America, but the governments of the West, they have some time ago decided that the biggest enemy they face is not foreign. It's the domestic enemies on the right. Those are the ones that are really holding them back from their goals. They're not destroying the United States military. They are building one, a different one, for a different purpose. One that will follow orders without question. And I know it's not the beginning of the show, but that may have made you uncomfortable. But trust me, I am right. So, with all the chaos going on in the world, make sure you're making appropriate preparations. Make sure you have the ability to access clean water. Make sure you have ammunition. Make sure you have food. Do you have food? Do you have three months worth of food in your home right now? 
No more grocery store, EMP hits, whatever, power outage. No more groceries, no more gas stations, no more nothing. Can you and your family eat for three months based on what's inside of your home right now? If the answer to that question is no, my Patriot Supply is here to take care of that for you. They have emergency three-month food kits sitting there ready to go. Buy it, stash it, please don't eat it. Buy it, stash it, and don't post about it on social media either. You don't want to advertise that you're the guy in the neighborhood who's still eating while everyone else is not. Plus, right now, they're giving out $200 worth of sweet survival gear with it. So go to MyPatriotSupply.com. Everyone in your home needs one of these kits. If, you're, if you live alone, just get one. If, you, if, you're, if it's four of you, get four of them. MyPatriotSupply.com. We'll be back. All right. It's time to lighten the mood. And uh, we like animals. Some people love animals. Some people are kind of weirdly obsessed with animals, but everyone really likes them, right? But there are obviously limits to, to how often and how close you want to encounter one. Before we get to that video, let's talk about your animal, specifically your dog. Your dog needs nutrition. Your dog is a, leave, a living, breathing thing, just like you are. You need nutrition, don't you? You need vitamins and minerals. You need to eat your veggies. You need to do these things. Your dog needs those same things too. Now, what does giving yourself the proper nutrition do for you? It helps you stay healthy, avoid the doctor, helps you live longer. Well, your dog needs that too. Your dog does not get that from his dog food. Dog food is dead food. So that's why it's brown, it's dead. There's no, they, they kill everything in it on purpose so it'll last longer on the shelf. So what do you do? Well, you can keep giving him the dog food, he needs the calories, pour some rough greens on there a nutritional supplement that will keep your dog healthier, away from the vet, away from the vet and alive longer. Free Jumpstart trial bags. Roughgreens.com slash Jesse is where you get it. Or you can call them 833-33-MY-DOG. Now, animals, we love them too, with limits. I'll see you tomorrow. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 